Hello, and welcome to another edition of History After Hours podcast, virus edition. The date is Thursday, May, what is it, 14th? Yeah. And this podcast through Zoom with uh, Mr. Franklin and Mr. Nixon, three of us uh, talk about a variety of topics, mostly centered on the virus and school and the reaction to the virus and the balancing act of the economic system versus quarantine. Uh, We get into a lot of different things, Um, so I hope you enjoy this. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It's so much fun for us to do it. We want to shout out again to Miss Abby Hanks, who is helping us produce this thing. And uh, yeah, so without further ado, as they say, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Another edition of History After Hours, quarantine version. This is what, May 14th, yep. 2020? It's hard to keep up with the days. Are y'all finding that's a weird, that, that's, I, I know it's been said a lot, but a lot of people are saying, yeah, it's every day is kind of running. There is no weekend now. Don't, don't you feel that you, you've lost a month? Like where'd April go, really? It's yeah. like this yeah. new zone, yeah. Like it wasn't really there. Yeah, I mean, like, the amount of days I've went without wearing shoes, you know, it's like, there's literally could be three days where I don't put on a pair of shoes. It's weird. Um, it's, I don't know, it's, it's very surreal, you know, and, I, I, you know, I sent that thing back to you guys last night about the, the podcast that we did from May, I mean, uh, from March 5th, just before all this really broke. And listening to us go through that, you know, the very first question in that podcast was about the virus from a student. And we were like, well, you know, we're not really sure. It's still in China, you know? Yeah. And then literally two weeks later, we were out of school and then we never went back. You know, it's been this weird, it is very surreal to have, to have gone through this. Yeah. Still it, it. I went from like not being concerned hardly at all to within 48 hours it's like we got to lock all this down we're not going to be back at school this year we're gonna you know it was weird how quickly that shifted and you know i talked to my students about things that have occurred in my life uh 9-11 was the only thing i think that has occurred that will be in the history books that everybody kind of remembers this blows that out of the water this is a global event that everyone no matter the country is thinking about talking about influenced by it's a weird thing to have this world history event happen like this. We've had small pandemics, pandemics by comparison. You know, I you know I was hearing the newsboys earlier today talk about the Zika stuff and and some in uh, the H one N one. You know, the was that the what was the other name for that? They called it the not the pig virus. What were they called it? Swine, swine flu. <laughs> swine flu. Yeah. So it's no pig virus. Yeah. I could <laughs> Um, but you know and I remember being concerned about that and there were some cases around here and and I think part of part of my thought process at the time was that this would be kind of like that you know or you know we've had the uh uh the the West Nile scare there a few years back and and uh and Zika or whatever but I and I so I thought you know there'd be some people 
affected by it, but I never really, I never really thought it would turn into this, even though we sort of speculated that it could go in that direction. We never, I didn't really envision that. Did you? Not at all. Um, I mean, here, I'll show you something. If, if the camera will pick it up in the first month, I decided just to let my facial hair go. And then I got creative when I shaved. I don't know if you can <laughs> see my Texas. I look like I belong in the movie Tombstone. But uh, that's just something I did for the children. I mean, we're trying to keep ourselves occupied here. It's, it is weird. It's, we're just in a weird place. I don't know how we're going to remember this or, you know. I was talking about that specifically with my uh, economics kids in a discussion uh, forum, you know, group on Google chat or whatever you're calling classroom. Um, but I, I told them when we look back on this, I hope that I taught it well because it was happening. And so we've been watching the economic impacts literally unfold. Uh, and so their last assignment was, okay, now predict how's it going to change? Is it, how's it going to change school? How's it going to change business? And so I'm letting them just like run wild with it. And some of them are painting some very bleak pictures. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of like what you were saying, it's, it's a global event that everybody's going to remember and look back on. And I'm trying to stress that to them. So one of my worries has been, have I taught it well? Did we watch it correctly? Were we asking the right questions? And because it's weird to teach something that's happening. Um, yeah. I've never experienced it. Especially as a history teacher, like we're, yeah. we're, we usually have the lens of history to look through. We've had decades, so we kind of know how it all plays out. It's weird being history teachers teaching a current event that is changing so rapidly. And you're right, like just wondering if we, because especially like these podcasts, like we're saying things, I wonder how that's going to hold up in two weeks, you know? Yeah. I shouldn't say never. I taught Trump's impeachment with impeachment this year. So uh, yeah, it's two for two, but, uh, but um, yeah, when I was, when I was getting the presentation ready for them, looking at the economic impacts of it, I'm like, this is so weird because I'm looking for current, current data, like Bureau of Labor Statistics data. And as a history teacher, that's just not yeah. what I'm normally doing. Um, I had a student send me uh, a couple of questions about it and it kind of ties in with what we're talking about right now. Uh, a sophomore, uh, Mary Labby, sent me a question. Actually, I'll, I'll give you two. One was, if you could go back to the beginning of this and warn yourself about something, what would it be? And then secondly, we talk a lot about the seniors, and that's, we should, you know, be, be concerned about their, you know, because the ending process has gone awry for them. Um, but how, with, but uh, what's, what is your opinion about um, parents of students? And how they're dealing with it because we haven't really talked much about that we'll, we talk about students but what about what do you think about the folks at home and i know everybody's in their own situation but what about those two things what would you tell yourself and and i really do feel for parents trying to trying to do their job and keep their lives in order and plus help their kids with their schoolwork more than they ever have yeah maybe that's maybe that's what i would tell myself is take the kids to a relative and leave them there when this hits <laughs> so they're isolated and stranded and my relatives have to take care of my children instead of me running wild. No, that's not true. Um, I don't know, what could you tell yourself? Don't worry about the toilet paper, it's not that big of a deal. Um, <laughs> I don't know, the, the, the good thing so far is things haven't gotten out of hand. I mean, there's been some small incidents, but things haven't gotten violent, the food supply is still going. I mean, yeah, you go to Walmart and maybe there's no eggs like yesterday, <laughs> or, you know, your or beef is, going to go up in price. There's going to be some minor adjustments, but I don't know that there's any single thing I could have told myself. Maybe 
what for my career, the Zoom meetings, try to figure out a better process, you know, because I, boy, that first week I was just winging it. I didn't know what, what I was, I assigned too much stuff and um, I probably would say don't stress about the small sting things during this fourth nine weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think that's me too, really. I never was in panic mode about the virus itself. I, you know, we, we took precautionary measures pretty early and I felt pretty safe and secure with that. And, and especially us being a, you know, a more rural state, that helps us as well because we're somewhat isolated, I suppose, just because of our distance from each other. But I, yeah, I've, 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 never, I've never had a Zoom meeting in my entire, I've never video conferenced ever. And so, you know, maybe learn those technologies because you, know, you never know when you might need to use them. So I, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I think yeah, this is going to also um, help change like I, I might do this quite a bit next year as recorded lectures now that I know kind of how easy it is instead of the podcast I mean I probably still I still have all my podcasts from my but I might be doing some of this too to give students just more resources at home hopefully when we're back at school yeah yeah what were you gonna say Nixon uh yeah I mean the zoom thing uh getting in sort of a hand in the technology early I think would have helped me um <clears throat> but following up on what you just said, I'm keeping all of these Zoom recordings for um, possibly next year. Um, and, you know, if we're in a pinch or if I need to say, hey, uh, here's an extra resource for whatever. Uh, so I am keeping them. <clears throat> I don't know how quality they are. <laughs> I'll probably have to go back and look at them. But because uh, that's one thing I do worry about with it thrown together and, you know, how effective was I through this medium? So I don't know. It's- we'll see. It's harder. I think the video video lectures like that are just kind of more boring and just because when you're in front of a class, you're kind of playing off. It's like a comedian playing off the crowd. You're kind of going where the conversation goes. And when it's just you lecturing about a topic, you're in your own head. It probably doesn't come across nearly as well. But like you said, it's a good additional resource. I just I don't want to rely on that 100 percent for sure. Mm-hmm. had a student tell me that he played me on double speed because they were too long <laughs> so <laughs> I worry about that too uh you know how well are they listening and you know paying attention yeah what do you think what about message for parents like bravo for for picking up the pieces the best you could I mean I don't, I don't know what else to say yeah I mean having three kids doing all zooms at different times and have and they have their own unique schedules and then i've got my schedule trying to juggle that and keep things normal i know how difficult that was for me and i know some parents are in a way worse situation i mean i'm a teacher so i know what zoom meetings are i know what google classroom is so i've got an advantage i know kind of how this whole thing works but if you're a parent that's totally out of the loop on anything educational and now all of a sudden you have a kindergartner or third grader that has to show up for Zoom meetings and Google Classroom and uploading things. Uh, yeah, bravo to these parents to uh, that have done a good job. Obviously, there's going to be. And that's just another stress in their life, especially let's say that they've had work-related issues. What if you've been laid off and and you're now you're dealing with that stress, and then you have to try to figure out how to help your kid. Obviously, people are doing that, but I can see how that would just compound the problems. I don't have any small kids at home. I, I'm, my kids are, are growing out of the house. And so uh, we, don't, we don't have those issues, but I know so many people are dealing with that across the nation, you know? Yeah, I've got a stu- one student in particular comes to mind where their father lost the jo- their job right at the first of this thing. 
and man, you talk about a scary situation and you got to worry about turning in an assignment, you know, I mean, that's the last thing they need to be worried about. Um, at least when they went to school, that's a sense of normalcy. They get away from all that distraction and they can focus in a classroom with their friends and, you know, it's kind of a release, but when you're just in the house and all of the home problems are now around you all the time, that I can't, you know, that's the big thing, right? Distraction. That's probably the biggest challenge that students have at home is just the distractions that come with having younger siblings and problems and who knows what else they're dealing with. Or you've got those kids that whose parents have taken them somewhere, you know, and they're still trying to connect with us. Maybe they can, maybe they can't, wherever they happen to be. They've gone out of state. They've gone, in some cases, kids have gone, like, well, we're going to, we're, we're going camping. I can't connect. You know, because some people have taken this time to just get out of the house and go somewhere if you can. Some 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 places aren't yeah. allowing it, obviously. But I've I've had students go out of state and stay with relatives or whatever. Yep. And so, how are they keeping up with stuff as best they can? I mean, I've really had I've been fortunate with the classes that I've taught. My my kids have really tried hard to be continually continual participants. You know, some sometimes they can't make it. But they've all put in diligent effort, I think. But I, but I wonder how long that lasts if we have to start this way next year. You know, yeah. well, I've got a handful of students I just have not seen. They just dropped off the planet when all this occurred. I, I, I see blips of them every now and then. But like you said, probably eighty percent of my students are in pretty good contact. They attend most of the Zoom meetings. They're doing, you know, and I was floored when they said nationally it was like twenty percent participation or whatever it was, or. Uh, so we're doing pretty well. I think we're in a good situation to begin with. Um, but yeah, it's every home is different. At least at school, we're all pretty uniform. We're all pretty, classrooms are pretty similar. Teachers are pretty similar. The building, they're all in the same environment. Uh, home life varies so wildly. You know, who knows? Yeah, what do you think about some of the states that have already announced that they won't be having the, the colleges now? I haven't heard anything about high schools, um, but the, uh, I think... A couple of places are like we're de Harvard. I think we're definitely not going back in the fall. It's all going to be online. And then there's others. And again, I'm I'm not quite sure which one. UNLV maybe some somebody out west. Who and they were like, no, we we are opening campus. I mean, I wonder when they're actually going to make better decisions about what that's going to be. I know you have to have contingency plans, but I wonder when we're going to start hearing them say definitely. Here's what we're going to do. I wonder. Yeah, I know the California schools are, um, at least the large state universities are, are already saying they're not going to have students back until spring. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you make that decision. And, um, you know, I watched an interview, I can't remember his name, but he was talking about, well, we looked at the CDC guidelines and, you know, with the number of students they told us to have in, in limited spaces and the desks being so far apart, we just, we can't do that. So we're not opening. Yeah. I, it's weird how politicized it is, because if you say, hey, we got to be, we got to stay shut down. Okay, you're a liberal. Or if you, we need to open back, up, oh, you're a Republican, or whatever. You know, it's just, it, it really should vary. And I heard, remember that dude, um, he was like the host of that show, Dirty Jobs, Micro. Mm -hmm. He's probably a conservative in some ways, a liberal in some ways. I don't know. I think he's pretty conservative, though. I know he goes on Fox a lot. And he, had, he wrote a book a few years ago called Safety Third. And it was kind of interesting where we're all saying safety first. And even the governor, I guess, of New York maybe came out and said, if it costs just one life, it's not worth it. But then you got to think, well, is it really safety first? I mean, 
we should get rid of all driving if we're really concerned. You know, he, he was saying like when you go to the airport and Delta or wherever is going to talk to you about how safety is their first priority, but then they strap you into this machine that defies gravity and goes some, well, safety is not their first priority. Let's get it. You know, there's going to be a level of risk, right? And it's, it's going to have to vary wildly, I would think, depending on where you live. And we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I mean, obviously, we know that if one person's infected, it could end up do, making horrible damage if we open at all. But I, I think there's going to have to be a balance. You think they're going to have to figure out how to play percentages and what the probability of infectious spread would be? I, I mean, in a, in a weird way, that's a, it's seemingly a gamble, but so is every day when you're not in a pandemic. You're right. I mean, things do happen. You can't safeguard. You can't guarantee somebody's safety and security. And we've actually talked about that in class before. The government cannot, no matter what it does, absolutely guarantee your safety and security. And so there's an inherent risk in just being out there, you know. But at the same time, if you look at an area like ours, like I said a while ago, we've had low infection rates. We've had low hospitalization rates. We're starting to open things back up. If that goes well, then we open more things back up. If we start to see it get weird, then we shut it back down. So I think, don't you think that's the ebb and flow of the whole thing? It, we're not New York City, right? Yeah. We've never had that many people. And they at the same time, we have to think about long-term economic effects. And I'm sure Nixon thought oh. about this deeply as well. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that yeah. it, our circumstances are going to be different than theirs. And so what we can do and how much sooner we can do it is probably going to be much different than what they So we can't have this like, sort of blanket. I know some people want a nationwide plan. I think the nationwide plan needs to be each state needs guidance, but at the same time, they've got to figure out for themselves what is going to be in their best interest overall. And again, pro what's the probability of it getting disastrous here as opposed to somewhere that's much more populous? Like the, the, those decisions seem to be much more practical. Yeah, I think if you're talking about a nationwide solution, <clears throat> the one doesn't exist, but I think you can do a nationwide formula. Like, here's what, here are the things you need to look at. Um, take these variables, look at them, and then do a state solution or do a local solution. Um, and, you know, there, it's, and Kevin's right, it's become so partisan that I don't know that you're going to get either side to agree to that or even meet in the middle for that. Um, but yeah, the the economic effects are going to be insane. And there's so many predictions right now from multiple economists about whether it's going to be this uh, V-shaped recovery or if it's going to be the U, like the long, <laughs> the long, you know, road back up. And nobody really knows. But I think the longer, the longer we go with things completely, I know they're not completely shut down, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, the the more likely we are to have that really extended slow recovery, um, and that's not good for people who are who are unemployed or will be underemployed. You know, not returning to work full time. Yeah, and small businesses like if we play it too safe to try to save lives now, you could end up messing up the food supply or global trade, and then it costs a million lives down the road because of poverty and starvation. I'm also worried about right. the middle class the gap between the rich and the poor has been increasing since Reagan at a pretty decent rate constantly under every president. Um, I wonder if this gonna, is going to escalate that rich get richer and the middle class shrinks even faster because of this, where you have a lot of middle class business owners that are about to be unemployed. I think, uh, what is it, 18%? I mean, Great Depression numbers were 25% unemployment. It's, it's reaching 18%, I think I heard, or... 
Yeah, so when the last um, numbers were put out, it was 14.2%, and since then we've lost 3.5 million more jobs. So, you know, I don't know where that is going to put us, but, you know, if you're looking at 18, 20, 22%, um, yeah, that's depression level. I mean, we're already probably depression level, but that's getting closer to great depression level. Uh, and then you got to worry about prices. With the slow openings, too, you think about them hiring people back, but not everybody's coming back at the same time. There's no way they're going to be able to hire all the employees that they had. If I'm a restaurant owner and I'm only allowed 33% capacity, I'm, I only need 33% of my workforce perhaps to cover that, that clientele that may come in. So, sure. so people, you know, uh, and are they better off on uh, government assistance at that point? If well, you come that's back, what I was about to say. Okay, go yeah. ahead. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where if you return to work part-time, you have to report those hours and those wages. And that's going to be a, uh, an offset to unemployment benefits. And unemployment bene benefits are already like 1 26th of your, your wage. Uh, so when you're talking about returning to work part-time and then also losing unemployment, you're actually worse off. A lot of people, I won't say universally, a lot of people are worse off um, by going back to work part-time. But they're in that catch-22. If they then refuse the work, they get no unemployment benefits. Uh, so you're going to put, you're going to put working people in a really tough spot, uh, with the slow reopening. Also the stimulus, remember that thing that happened that yeah. they talked about people getting, um, did that ever go to anybody? I don't think I know a single, I think I know one person said that they received this. I think most of it went to corporations and, uh, which I guess is no surprise, but. I heard something today that I found disturbing along those lines. <laughs> Churches in this country are tax exempt as far as I know, right? Yeah. Why would they receive stimulus money? Yeah, that's a great question. And and they, they did, <laughs> they did in yeah. In some cases, millions of dollars. Uh, one church here received over $120,000. You pay no taxes and yet you're going to get a bailout from the taxpayers to keep your... Uh, I, I, what, can you explain that phenomenon? How's that working? How do they... How do they apply for and then receive? Uh, how does it, how is that legal? Well, I mean, it's it's you're looking at a couple of things. You're looking at the, the way they received it was um, because they're classified as a small business based on the definition and how many people they're employing and that sort of thing. Um, okay. And then they, you know, it's basically an exemption in the law where. Okay, but know, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm just curious. So. The, the fact that they're paying employees and those employees are also then paying taxes and you're paying unemployment insurance or whatever is for them. Yeah. That's how it that qualifies. Um, I don't know about churches and unemployment. That's, that would be a new one for me. I'd have to look into that one. Um, but you know, it's all about how they wrote the stimulus law and it's, it's kind of fascinating and I haven't looked at a lot of it, but you know, one of the industries that didn't get anything were the uh, cruise industries because, oh, you're, you're, you're incorporated off the American coast. You don't pay taxes. You avoid our taxes. So we're not going to reward you, but that's what they did with churches in a, in a, in a weird way, because, you know, they are exempt from taxes as well. They're not offshore, but they're not paying any either, but they were okay to put them in the stimulus. If they're small businesses, they should pay taxes. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a, I don't have a good, I don't know all the answers. I don't, I don't even know all the, I don't even know all the factors that went into it. I just heard that. And I thought that would be an interesting topic for us to discuss because it was. Yeah, and, 
I don't know all the details about how you had to qualify if you were a church and, and, and I don't want to speak too much on it because of that, but um, yeah, big picture though, they seem to be, you know, competing, <laughs> competing and, ideas. And there's a difference between your local church on the block down the street versus Joel Olstein, who yeah. sells out a stadium every week. You got to think he's probably employing a lot of people. You know, he's probably got private jets, and but does he does he not pay any taxes? And then I, I don't, you know, I, I I feel for local preachers, you know, that are just trying to make ends meet, and now they can't, you know, they're doing things through Zoom, I guess, and probably somehow collecting tithes. But um, I don't know. Everybody, you know, we're in such a weird situation being public employees, and our jobs basically went un, uninterrupted. Um, so it's. I can't imagine being a small business owner or being a local preacher. That's, yeah, I don't know how that works. I don't know how the finances of a church works anyway. I don't, I don't know. I just, and I, and if it's, I'm sure it's legal somehow. I was just confused as to how, as to what that is. And maybe there's a separation between the church as an entity co collecting money and doing its missionary work or whatever it does. And the and the paying its employees part of it, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm sure that's how it has to work, but I don't know the details. Yeah. Uh, along that line too, since I since I'm kind of on a roll here, what about, have you guys seen the uh, this? Is it in Fort Smith, where or where is it? Where the, the they're going to have this concert, and the governor hasn't approved this because it's uh, it's uh, uh it, it's it's not we haven't met the, the the time for them to officially open up yet and have mass meetings or whatever. But they're planning on having. Have you seen this? I have to look it up. Maybe I've heard bits and pieces. It's, yeah, the uh, yeah. they're, they're threatening to sue this establishment. It's a it's a church venue, I think, and they're going to have a guy come in and do a concert. And they had it planned out for a long time, and I think they're going to do it on the 18th. I uh, know they're going to do it on the 15th tomorrow, but the governor hasn't allowed things like that until the 18th. And so there's this there's this brewing controversy between the two groups, and since they're a private institution and they are a church associated, I think. Then where does it? What what kind of what kind of leverage does the does our state government have over them in this particular case? Can he go in there and shut them down, or or put fines on them for defying the order that he's put in place about not meeting until a certain date? You know. Well, so what he told them was, and I, this is what I heard yesterday, so I hope it hasn't changed. But that he would basically seek a cease and desist, like don't you can't do it. Um, now, if that has happened, I don't know yet. I haven't heard today. Um, but obviously that's going to ruffle some feathers. Um, can he do it? Probably. It's probably, it's going to be dependent on, you know, what power the governor has in, in times of a, a declared state emergency. Um, can he do it with the first amendment? Probably. Um, what you're talking yeah. About. Yeah. Probably is the answer to that because generally applicable laws, as long as they're not specifically targeting religion, um, are usually upheld. Um, okay, and so this is this is one I would argue. If I had to. It's called Temple Live, Temple Live to comply. This is this is brand new right now. Temple Live to comply with cease and desist order with May fifteenth concert. Uh, will comply with the cease and desist order mandating he cancel the concert Friday at Temple Live venue in downtown Fort Smith. Travis McCready concert is set three days before the May 18th deadline or the date that allows venues to open. And so apparently they are going to comply. Okay. I was just, since, since it was, uh, 
since it was kind of a churchy thing and I'd have to look more into what this exact establishment is. Uh, I just wondered what the governor really could do, if anything, cease and desist. Or if they didn't cease or desist, then what? Yeah, I mean, theoretically, they could be arrested. I, I mean, I don't know if it's going to happen. No. <laughs> it, would, it would be like New York when the, the funeral a few weeks back, um, you know, it would be like that. And look, governor's powers, we, we never talk about state government, but governor's powers are being tested quite a bit now, too. The Wisconsin Supreme Court overturned uh, the state-at-home order of their governor. Um, that, yeah. So it was an overreach on her part, they said. Yeah, I mean, it, it just couldn't do it without legislative action. So look, governors, we talk so much about the president, but the governor's actions are going to come in, into scrutiny with a lot of these. And I think there are going to be a lot of lawsuits and it may redefine um, not just state powers, but possibly federal power too, in the balance of federalism. So. I love how Trump at first was, you know, shifting everything to governors and basically saying, hey, these are federal resources for federal purposes. You should have state. And he, then he started playing them off each other if they liked him or not. But now they've had a poll where they've, there's been a few governors that have a really high approval rating in the way they've handled it. And then he sends out that tweet that says they couldn't have done anything without me and the federal government. So he's trying to take credit. It's just like, that is a perfect Trump right there. That is Trumpism yeah. at its highest. He's, it's great. So good. He's so good at that. He is. He's just, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm always in awe. Not in a, not in a positive way. Yeah. Um, well, I, I know some places that my band has played are starting to open back up this weekend, I think, maybe. Is it the 15th? And then they have, it's, I don't even know how this is possible, but a lot of the places we play, of course, are clubs. And so they have a bar and they have tables and they serve food, a lot of them. But they have to be, they have to do the social distancing guidelines, a maximum capacity for each place. And then how do you even, I don't even know how that would work. I'm sure the places are happy to be reopening, but if everything's limited, they're probably not making a profit. Or, but I guess that's better because th you're going to have to spend money because you're going to have to have employees show up. And but then if you don't, if you can't maximize the people coming in, then that really you could end up losing money. It might even be in the best interest for some of them to remain closed down, and not even. Of course, I mean I, I haven't thought through every. Obviously, every specific restaurant has a different thing. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that affects everything. Plus, if you're going to pay a band, that's not going to happen for a long time. It's just weird. This is a weird, I don't know. It's like I would love to be able to teach about this correctly, but like you said, we won't know until the other side of it how this all plays out. Well, and, you know, I said this, I think I messaged y'all yesterday, the whole Restaurants re reopen, but diners have to wear a mask. How? I don't, <laughs> I yeah. don't understand it. Uh, how are we going to do this? And I shouldn't, I shouldn't laugh about it because it's serious. But, uh, but some of these, these regulations or guidelines just don't make sense to me. And I, I don't know how we're going to do it. I also, I went to Walmart yesterday, and it was going to be one of those trips that's going to take a while. So, you know, I do what I do when I have to go out. I wore a mask. And, you know, just the... Of, of course, somebody my age, living in the South, kind of a tough big guy, you know, you get the looks like, why are you wearing a mask? And I just want to take it off and just say, it's for your benefit. 
I could be sick. I'm not doing this because I'm weak and I'm scared I'm going to get the virus. I'm doing this in case I give it to you and you give it to your 70-year-old grandmother. And I don't know why that logic misses so many people because so many people think the mask means that you're insecure and scared and, and all that. No, I just care about people. That's why. I, and even if it reduces the risk by just a little. I've heard stories from people who said that they've been actually accosted for wearing a mask and, and shamed and people yelling at them and stuff. And that's so bizarre to me because it just seems like a common courtesy. I'm like you said, I'm doing this more for you than I am for me. Uh, Cover your mouth when you sneeze. But I, I haven't actually personally witnessed that. Like I've, we've been out and I always, we always mask up when we go, but everybody's been really just sort of like, man, I've not seen anybody, I, I know it happens because I've heard, and I know people who've said, yeah, I got people yelled at me or whatever, but, uh, but I've not, I've not personally seen that. So no I don't one know, has said anything to me. The same jerks as other people, maybe. Yeah. Nobody said anything to me, but I was in the hardware section, uh, you know, and there was just a guy that was basically laughing at me because I had this mask on. Yeah. It's hard to laugh when your lungs are filled with fluid, sir. Yeah. Be careful. <laughs> and, and that brings me to another point. We talk about masks. We're talking about stay at home, social distancing, all that. But there's very little talk of raising your individual immunity through diet, exercise, vitamins. You know, there's vitamin C, zinc. There's specific vitamins and stuff that you could take that are proven to raise your immune system to help fight this thing off, which would do a, if everybody, even on some level, bought into that, it could have a huge effect, even globally. There's some countries that are healthier, obviously, they have less obesity, less heart disease, less, and they're doing it much better, even if they have less uh, strict, you know, whatever. Italy got hit horrible, and of course, Italy is a, the land of smokers, you know. It's like there's very little money or advertising or anything on the one thing that really could help us get through this faster, which is living a healthier lifestyle. Do y'all find that odd? <laughs> Or is it just that's the net human nature we don't like to tell people to? I've, I've always found it odd that in our country specifically, we, we don't truly advise well when it comes to healthful living. It's, it's really this sort of you're on your own, do your thing. It's very, I suppose, individualized. And that's what, you know, capitalism has brought us, I think. You're on your own, make your own choices, do your own thing. And, and then don't, don't, don't cry to society when your life falls apart. Like that's kind of how we do things here, right? We, we don't necessarily have a great uh, safety net, but we also don't promote any ways for people to really, truly access good information about how to live a healthy lifestyle. Um, it's almost it's, like we- It comes from, yeah, both, it comes from both sides, all right? Well, yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah I'm, not, I'm not pointing fingers at any political party, but I'm, right. but I'm curious about the FDA's uh, situation. And I, I think about, we, we did a lesson just yesterday, as a matter of fact, with my sophomores about globalization. And we talked about, uh, you know, the countries that have the, the most fast food or whatever. And I remembered that as we traveled around, let's say that we went to a fast food restaurant in, in Europe, as opposed to here in the United States, same restaurant, but the food tasted different because they don't allow the same amount of crap in there. Like you, you can't have certain ingredients. You can't have uh, sodium levels through the roof. And we allow that all the time. I remember, and I won't name names for restaurants, but I went to a sit down restaurant and it's what we used to go to all the time for you know, sort of celebration type things. Oh, it's your birthday. Go. And I would always, we'd leave there and I'd have, uh, hours later, I had this massive like splitting headache and I, could, I was like, what? And I know I'm not allergic to the food. And so what, what is it? What is it? Well, I finally took it upon myself to look up 
their uh, nutritional information. And the amount of sodium in the meal that I had, that I typically had because I liked, I liked it, was more than three times the daily uh, allowable amount of sodium. And so I was having this massive, like my, my organs and, and my body was like screaming at me for consuming that much salt at, at the same time. And so I had to stop going there. And, but at the same time, if you go to that same restaurant, because I looked it up in, in let's say, Canada, that you, they don't allow that. Why do we do that? Well, it's almost like we want people to be sick so we can sell them more drugs. Is it some sort of, I don't, I'm not a conspiracy guy, but at the same time, pharmaceuticals love to sell drugs to people who are sick and you can't do that if people aren't sick. Yeah, all these fillers that, and artificial ingredients and free refills. Think about the, you know, you get, you order a Coke and it comes in a bucket and it's like 40 ounces, but hey, we get free refills. Let's, it kind of, in buffets, like a lot of countries don't have free refills. You know, you get a tiny little glass, no ice, and you pay for each drink. It's weird how our system is set up to kind of, and of course we do have an obesity problem, um, but like Bernie Sanders and others have talked about universal health care, which is uh, probably is going to come around eventually and probably should be a right. But, you know, the sickest part of our population is the ones that are costing everybody else so much money. It seems like there'd be just as much effort in education uh, and, and holding companies accountable for what they're putting in their foods. But that, that's not going to happen. As long as it tastes good, it's not even real food. Think about how many things are on the market that aren't real food. Cheetos are not food. Right. I will call out a company there. Cheetos are not food. It's puffed orange chemical, right? It's not yeah. a real thing, and yet, uh, but they taste great. And I love me some Cheetos, but I can't eat them because, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I'm at the age well, now. I've got to pay attention more than I ever have. Um, oh, I too. yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, look at the response, though, when we try to do something, look at the healthy lunch, and I'm not a big fan of the healthy lunch program that the Obama administration rolled out, but look what the response was to it. Um, just the, you know, like give our kids back their, their sodas, give them back their candy bars, let them have whatever they want to have. Just the response to it was almost like you're attacking our personal liberties uh, to where I think we've forgotten what personal liberties actually are, <laughs> because, you know, healthy food especially in schools is not an infringement upon your <laughs> upon your rights um, but that's how everything's treated you know in the 70s uh, I did a deep dive on fat you remember everything you know back when we were growing up it was always fat is the devil and so every so a whole new category came out called low fat or fat free it turns out now in nutritional science it's the sugar and of course that was backed by sugar companies and soda companies to attack and they would have people with lab coats on saying fat is what makes you fat when actually it looks like it's the amount of sugar. And so you wonder if a sugar tax, of course I teach about a sugar tax, um, <laughs> created our country, <laughs> but like you wonder if the uh, sugar tax would be beneficial. Of course that would drive up the cost of fast food and junk when, food. When I, when I started being extra concerned about healthfulness and what I was consuming and, and I, and I do not follow that strictly mm -hmm. as much as should but at the same time I, there was a moment where i became aware of what i was actually consuming and and how to try to limit certain things i had no idea how much sugar i was actually consuming that and salt i had no idea how much i was actually putting in my body and you and it's and it's not one of those things where uh, if you watch the if you watch the advertisements about that and they go well you know if you, sugar sugar it's okay for you and uh, if you drink more or you eat more then you just have to move more and that's absolutely incorrect from from and i've read multiple medical journals about this about your body can only 
actually chemically process your pancreas can only process so much sugar in a day. After that, it's just going to store it as fat. There's nothing else you can do with it. It doesn't know what else to do. So it doesn't matter how much you move. It's a chemical process. Yeah. And so, but read labels, people. I, 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 was, I was stunned. And then I realized that the most, like, like you just said, most of the sugar content came from things that were supposedly healthy for you. It, things that, 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 like you said, uh, low fat, fat free special in that oh but it's no it's they take out the fat which is part of the flavor and they replace the flavor flavor with sugar and then next thing you know you're not really any more healthy than you actually were yeah you drink can't, a diet there's weight that's not really a thing yeah you have to be very careful like if you get yogurt or cheese or milk like those things are supposed to have fat in them but it's hard to find regular you know ever it's fat for yogurt but then you look at the carbs and it's jacked up with sugar and it's like, man, we've, we've created this monster. And yeah, when I, you know, as most of you know, I was an athlete and then I uh, became a personal trainer, certified personal trainer, did that. And, you know, the number one question that you get asked is how, do, how can I lose weight? And the, the instinct for humans is to go run, going for a run, start running or lifting, you know, 80 something percent of it can be controlled with diet. I mean, you can get shredded by just manipulating your diet. And it's weird that we're at the time of this pandemic and people are, dying from this virus the thing that fights the virus off is a high immunity you know a healthy body and no one's talking about that it's like you know people will talk about school shootings which are horrible and that kills children and it seems it's so politicized but then you got the tobacco companies or you know drunk driving nobody no politicians talking about that it's and kills way more people don't you, like remember the, when, don't you remember in new york a few years ago when they tried to ban giant sodas and just like you said, people were in the streets protesting. It's my right to drink this. How dare you infringe upon my choice? It, that's weird. <laughs> it's like the Carter Malay's speech. Do y'all remember that? You know, the he kind of the Carter yeah. Jimmy Carter Malay's speech. It's a, the economy wasn't doing good. There was a stagnant economy, and we called it stagflation, high inflation, the oil crisis that we had. And he basically went on national TV and scolded the American people for you know being too greedy, not pulling their weight. It killed his popularity, and you know, that's when everybody's like, "Oh, no, not Reagan," <laughs> you know, uh, wrapped in American flag. Do what you wanted to. Um, I'm gonna have to look that up. I don't, I don't remember that. Yeah, it hurt him politically bad because the American people do not want to be told what to do, or or that it's our fault in any way. It's weird. We take responsibility in for some things, and then something. No, don't. don't no, you we want to be. Go ahead. I was just gonna say we want to be always right and we want to be uh, never scolded and just live our life the way we see fit because by God that's the way it should be and we don't ever want to be corrected it's it's so ingrained in American culture now it's part of parcel of American exceptionalism my God-given rights yeah and, and of course you know as a politician you know it would cost a politician to come out against and I'm sure they're getting money from some of these companies. I wonder, I wonder what the uh, tobacco people and the sugar people and all those, I wonder what their lobbyists really have to do. I wonder, I wonder how much money they strong arm people with. You know, we'll, we'll ruin your campaign if you try to fund anything or, or try to uh, pass any kind of legislation yeah. against us. I'll bet that's yeah. part of it. Oh, that's, that's a huge part of it. That's the iron triangle. That's the idea that 
the lobbying firms really control two branches of government, the legislative and the executive bureaucracy that enforce it. So there's never going to be a rule that hurts them. And there, and if there is a rule or a law that hurts them, they're going to spend millions of dollars getting that legislator out of office. This kind of brings me to my, another pet topic I've always had as a coach. You know, we do a great job of educating, well, okay, let me back up. Some schools do a great job of educating people's minds, brains, but we don't do much regarding people's bodies. And what's weird is we, we definitely don't do it after kids hit puberty. Like if you think about high school, you have athletics, which is great. And a lot of kids benefit from that. But if you're not in athletics, you have to have like a half of a PE credit. And then that's it for four years. And I'm wondering if we could do a better job somehow in our curriculum on educating kids about health. Usually the teacher, and by the way, I'm a coach, so I can say this, right? <laughs> Uh, usually the teacher is a coach who doesn't really care about PE, right? Or doesn't even know much about nutrition. They know about their sport, but, you know, they... We do have a food and nutrition class, but I, but nobody has to take it. It's, a, it's an elective, as far as I know. Yeah, and I'm not saying we should make mandatory, but I wonder if there's ways in our current curriculum that we could do a better job of t teaching kids about health and immune systems. And, and I know they talk about some of this in biology and... It's just, I don't know. It seems like, you know, no matter how smart you are, if your body shuts down on you, the brain is useless. And I don't know. Uh, this Something like this pandemic, it just makes me think how backwards sometimes we think. We want to worry about everybody having health insurance, but never, and which is good, but never mentioning the major causes of health crisis, you know. I would hope that if there was ever a universal health care system in the country, it would have to be coupled up with, you can't have this unless you try to not destroy your body in the same. Right. It seems like that would be a yeah. good, yeah, you have to be a, because well, that's what would happen, right? But I don't know how you, I don't know how you regulate that. I don't, you know, I, I mean, I don't know how you. Well, private insurers are doing it. I mean, look, every time we get a physical before the school year, they're checking for tobacco and, that's, uh, yeah, you know, that's true. Yeah, right. So, I mean, there there are ways, um, but, you know, the typical sort of American response to that is, is, yeah, but I'm paying, you know, I'm paying for that. That's not the government telling me what to do. I could always find a different insurance company. Well, yeah. you know, that argument doesn't really hold up. But, you know, if the government tries to do it, it's we've spent so long demonizing government that the response is automatically, um, if I'm inconvenienced, I've lost my civil liberties. <laughs> um, so. Yeah. First world problems. Yeah. But that's what it would be. It would be a very small percent of the population that would be super unhealthy that would drive up the cost that we all have to kind of shoulder. And it does seem like there would have to be some sort of requirements to receive that money, at least something. And of course, you know, I'm about to go up. Uh, my health insurance is expensive and it's about to jump again because I'm about to, my birthday's coming and I'm going to be 40, whatever. And I'm in the next bracket. So apparently things are going to start slowly shutting down on me. <laughs> so I guess, you know, so age, of course, will be a factor as well. They don't have to. I'm, I'm years and years and years ahead of you, and I'm still feeling pretty good. So You're like and the I'm canary in the coal mine. We're just watching I'm you. Nearly, I'm not nearly as responsible with my diet as you are, I don't think. so. Uh, I don't know. I, I am benefiting from 15 years of lifting weights and, eat, and living very healthily. I'm still living off of that in my 40s. <laughs> it's going to catch up with me eventually. Um, so what do you all think about – and I, I – admire because because we're on for those of you who don't know we're three on a text stream uh you know group 
and these two dudes, y'all are on top of it. And I'll check my phone and it'll be like 40 texts. <laughs> like, What's happened? And then I remember, okay, they don't have children running around. There's something there. But I really just do these podcasts now to, you know, catch up on what's going on. And I know y'all are probably thinking, did, did Kevin die? <laughs> he hasn't responded to it. Every now and then you throw that little thumbs up button on, the, on something we've copied. So I know you're still around. I know. I see Twitter stuff and I'm just like, and I've missed the last 30. I was like, I don't have time to read it. Good job, guys. I'll read the last two. But in the stream of 60 texts that y'all sent today, I saw Obamagate and that sparked my attention. And I'm like, what's going on? So apparently the president, and look, I know Trump sucks up so much that he doesn't deserve, but it's so fun to talk about because he's so crazy. What is Obamagate? Does he know? It's <laughs> a great question. Um, it's like the conspiracy theory to end all conspiracy theories. It's the idea that Obama not only knew about this plan to basically, um, I don't know if it's keep Trump from power or impeach him once he got in power. I don't know that part of it, but it's like both. it all. It's actually both. Like okay. He, yeah. So it's this deep state, yeah. swampy. Is he really even an American? Is he really even human? Is he, you know, is he really a Christian? All of those birther things that he started with way back in the day, and they've all sort of culminated in this new. Uh, except, it was, it was. Hey, he was trying to trip me up before rigged elections and all that, and then now after the fact, he's been trying to get me. He's been trying to undermine my power the whole time. It's him and the Clintons and it's all that. So go ahead. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, 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 you're fine. I, you know, I, I don't know a better way to describe it because it is like every conspiracy they've ever had all put into one. And now it's, you know, he keeps tweeting that it's, it's coming and he should be indicted and, you know, abuse the powers of the presidency to get him removed or impeached or keep him from getting elected. And I'm just like, dang, if Obama was that powerful, why didn't he just rig the election? I, I, you know, I don't, I don't understand how people follow that logic. You yeah. remember when people were afraid that Obama was going to raise up the Syrian refugee army to keep himself in power when, when, his, uh, when his two terms were up? That one was so funny. But people, there were people who really, really believed that. I, I, Jade Helm. Jade Helm is my favorite one, that Obama is creating a military and they're assembling in abandoned yeah, Walmarts. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's, that's the one. I just I couldn't remember the name. So I know that anything that you can attack Obama for, Joe Biden is going to pay politically, maybe. Is that yeah. the foundation of this? Or is it his popularity in response to the coronavirus? What sparked all of a sudden? Because I, I heard a reporter ask him about it, and he just said everybody knows what it is. He never said. Every, every time he faces criticism for it, whether it's the coronavirus response or whether it's um, – I mean, what, anything that he's done that anybody might be critical of, he said, oh, you said this last week. Well, it's Obamagate. That's his new thing. And it's, it's a deflection, and it's masterful. You know, I mean, this is I, – yeah. I, I, I admire him in a weird, twisted way to be able to spin these things off, you know. Um, nothing – his deflector shields are really strong, and things just sort of bounce. And, and he, just, he says things, and people believe them, and there's nothing to back it up. It's and remarkable. It's, it's things. Yeah, it is, it is absolutely remarkable. It's also driving um, yeah. me nuts being a, a fact-based kind of person, knowing the just blatant video lies, video evidence, you know, that drives me yeah. nuts, but he's, but, he's able to do it. Mm -hmm. But it's, 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 I think it's two things. I think it's campaign strategy um, 
to uh, undermine Biden because Biden's going to tie him with Obama, obviously. And then also it's to, um, if, if he does win re-election, it's to solidify even more power to himself because anybody who opposes him, you're part of that deep state conspiracy and you, and you know you are and, and it's going to be the media mixed in with it and all the other stuff. I, I think it's just an attempt to shore up even more power if he does win the election or if he loses the election, call it foul and then challenge yeah. I don't know if it, it's correlation or causation or what, but if you look, because he's a poll person, he follows polls and, you know, promotes the ones he likes and then the ones that say he's losing, he says that they're fake. But about, about that time when all this happened, some swing state polls came out that looked really bad for him. And there was a Texas poll that came out that put Joe Biden within two in Texas. Um, and that's crazy. I don't think that's an accurate poll. <laughs> I'd have to look at the methodology. But um, then all of this started swirling, like at a huge level within a day or two of those, it was a string of polls like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan sort of polls. And so I don't know if it's coincidental or not, but I know he watches the polls and then this happened. So. Well, one recent example is when this whole thing hit, uh, it came out and pretty much agrees that, that Trump, the Trump administration cut our response to a pandemic like last year. Then, within just a couple of weeks, somehow he's claiming that when he took over, the cupboards were bare. You know, that he didn't have the, what he needed, but he cut. And then he's, somebody asked him, well, you've been president for three years. What have you done to replenish the cupboard if it was bare? And then he goes off about how great our military is or something. I don't, it's, something it's like, well, That's a nasty question. You're a nasty reporter. You're you're fake news. I'm the president. Don't question me. Yeah, I mean, he's he's not going to answer that. Um, that it, it, that's a weird thing. To, I heard a guy on I don't remember which conservative group it was, uh, and he was like, "Well, and, and you've probably heard this too. You know, Obama didn't do anything. Uh, he did. He didn't help. He didn't even. He didn't even begin the process of creating a vaccine for um, coronavirus, which is hilarious because coronavirus is new." Right. That's right. It's not, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing he was in office. And so how do you go back and blame that? It, it's, it's, it's just, it's just brilliant denial, consistent, you know, like I said, he's a master at it. It's, it's I think my, it's the same technique strategies that he used in business, just double down, double down until people just have to quit asking, you know, which I, mean, I think is why he's fighting so hard to keep his tax returns. I was just gonna. I was just gonna ask you about that. Like, how? What did they? What did? Are they, is that still an ongoing? Are there more yeah. hearings about that coming up with the Supreme Court? I, assume. I, th I think the Supreme Court has held all the hearings they're going to hold. I think it's just decisions. Oh. Um, so you know, we'll we'll hear by the end of June at the latest. Um, but those, you know, and I listened to all like it's like three hours of those oral arguments. Uh, which is a new thing because you don't usually get to listen to Supreme Court live. So, you know, COVID-19 is changing the way the court functions and we, we get to listen. And it was just insane. The links that the personal attorneys for the president were arguing blanket immunity, blanket privileges. The president is not accountable for anything while he's in office. <clears throat> you know, it's the whole Nixon, when the president does it, it's not illegal. And it just blows my mind that... <laughs> that it's even considered. Um, if you would have told me when he got elected that he would have done even half of these things, 
uh, I mean, forget the impeachment stuff even. I mean, just half of what he said, what he's tweeted, I would have said, well, the Republican Party will abandon him at this point and they'll coalesce around some up somebody else and he'll be impeached or he'll be ignored or, and they haven't, they have, it is Trumpism. And man, if you're a real conservative, like a Reagan old school conservative, like I wonder how you get through this. You don't, you don't want to be progressive. You don't want to be a liberal. So you're not, but you, you don't retire. Be, I guess so. You ignore his trash and you hang on to your one thing that you do want to focus on, which would be Supreme court judges or whether it's, right to life or, or, or whatever it is, uh, second amendment, you know, those, those, I think that they just ignore all the things they want to, they've learned from, I mean, it's, it's kind of a political move anyway, right? Just to ignore things you don't want to talk about and only focus on the things that you do. I've, how many times have you seen a politician ask a very direct question from a, a sincere reporter and they go, well, I'm not going to answer that, but I will say this, or they just act like they didn't hear the question at all. I mean, I, it's weird that a public servant, doesn't have to answer questions directly that they can just dodge like that. Um, and so I think maybe if I, if I am that sort of Reagan uh, conservative from the past, uh, like I said, I think you can just pick and choose. There are some things that you can hang your hat on that he's done that you would support. And I guess you just oh, yeah. do it. You know, it's well, you put your blinders on and you feel comfortable and you go on about your business. I hate to say this, but there are a couple, two, three people that I really admire, not for any good reason. Kellyanne Conway, Giuliani, Stephen Miller, these dudes have been in the Trump administration for a long time, which means they have sold their soul to Trump because he gets rid of everybody that have possibly criticized. This means they've went this long without publicly criticizing Trump at all because none of them would ever do that or they would have been gone. That's pretty consistent right there because, you know, just one public criticism, one mic that's accidentally left on one little blurb that where they say something negative about Trump, it would get you fired. And those people have hung on for a long time. That's true. I hadn't thought of that. I mean, Tillerson, you could go through the list of people that have been, that he fired for any a number of reasons. I remember I was mowing my yard when it came through when, when Tillerson uh, called him, a, you know, <laughs> basically not very bright <laughs> and i remember thinking oh tillerson's gone as secretary of state already and then it was like two weeks later he was gone it's like so these other people that have hung on and kellyanne conway there's another magician for you she can spin it like a, the gymnastics that these people can do to defend trump they should be in the olympics it's the another one gymnastics. to watch is this uh new press secretary um kaylee McEnany. Because they they put her and she was so prepared for it in the briefing oh, the other yeah. day. The reporter reporter asked her about, well, do you take back your comment that you made on Fox News where she had downplayed coronavirus? And she opened her briefing book, flipped to the back, quoted about five or six newspapers, <clears throat> all liberals, you know, leaning, uh, where they had either posted op-eds, usually op-eds, about how they thought the coronavirus would be mild and said, are you going to take back your statements when you have an answer? Let me know. Closed the book and walked away from the, the press, the oh, lecture. And I was just like, holy crap. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't stand her, but you have to respect that ability to just go. Yeah. You saw that coming too. It was like a <laughs> softball question. And instead of a bat, she used a cannon <laughs> and just yeah. blasted it back in their face. I thought, oh, she's I, you know, oh yeah. She'll be there. 
she'll be there. You have to, I think you have to just morally and ethically just, you have to let go of everything. And Trump has to become the center of your world or you don't have a job. I mean, and those people have done that. And I think she's going to do it too. How does Kellyanne Conway go home and, and, and not fight with her husband? It's, it's so weird because he is so, he's so not a Trump guy. I would love if, if there should be a reality show with people's you know, home life. That part is of me, part of me thinks that they just go home and laugh. Maybe. Because, I mean, it's their, it's their job the money. to say what they say, but it doesn't mean that they believe it. They might just, it's, it might just be a big show to them. And I mean, I wonder. If Who was that? What was the Cajun's name that Bill Clinton and Carvel, uh, James yeah. Carvel? Wasn't yeah. his wife a Republican? Mm-hmm. And so that was a big deal. But they seem to be way more civil than normal. But these two are diametrically opposed on Trump. And, I, man, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. It's fun to talk about Trump. I mean, even in the campaign, I watched him a lot because he was entertaining. He just said some crazy stuff. And it's weird. It's kind of like that old phrase, no, uh, you know, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Everything is – and so partly it's his entertainment that got him elected, and I guess – that's why he just takes up the conversation. We had a podcast with another president. We had History After Hours during the Obama years. We barely talked about him, <laughs> as I recall. It's just like something we mentioned. Every, oh, Obama did this. Oh, okay, whatever. But now everybody's paying attention. No, yeah, it's, well, it's a show, yeah. Yeah, Hillary said in, during the campaign, he, he sucks up all the oxygen in the room, and he does. So last question. Um, unless there's something else we need to cover, but I, I just, what do you think about the fall? Does this thing come back with the fall, like they're saying? And then what happens if the first day of school is through Zoom? How do you think that changes everything? I don't want, I don't want to think about that. I really don't. I just don't want to do that. I, I mean, we will if we do, you know. But golly, I, I, I just I just so want to be back in that building and uh, try to be normal. I don't want I don't want it to have to be. I don't want it to have to be you know desks six feet apart, and I don't want to have to be every other kid gets to come to school every other day, and and you know I don't know, man. I I, I want to be <clears> so a, much of the hard to be though. Yeah, so much of the tone for me is set on those first two or three days um just talking talking about what we're going to do how we're going to do it i mean for ap gov i stand up and and talk about george carlin <laughs> the first two days i'm like we're going to talk about everything um and i i don't know that i can, I, I can do that through zoom i don't know that i'm going to make the connection through zoom well the biggest yeah, problem is Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say the biggest problem with Zoom is the kids that don't have a camera or their internet's too slow to have their camera on. And so you just see their name. And it's like, if they don't say something, you don't even know they're there. So you literally could be dealing with 25 students. And by the way, I don't even know how we would get to those kids because there is no Google Classroom. We'd have to figure that out. But then, you know, they all log on. Maybe they're there, but I only see three of them and I don't know them. And then it's like, how do I even get to know the, the names in the blank screen if I can never see them? Because we, you know, even in this, we, we play off of each other's, you know, facial expressions and things. I, I don't know. Yeah, well, and also the, the and I know that we all do this to a certain extent, but I've, I've worked hard to make my classroom have a certain atmosphere. 
You know, I want it, it looks a certain way, it feels a certain way, it sounds a certain way. It's got, I want there to be this dynamic, you know, and I, and all of that's gone. And, and, and that part of the, I don't want to, I'm not trying, it's not like I'm trying to be, it's not fake, but it's, 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 it's its own show in a certain way. You know, it is who I am. It's how I express myself through. And then you come into the room and it's a whole, I'm, I'm part of that. It's part of my package delivery, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so, but this is, this is so much more cut and dry and it's, I mean, like I said, we can make it work. I just, you, I think we, we lose an element. Like you, I think it's the tone, like you said, you lose an edge maybe. Uh, and it's not as personable. That's what gets me. I want to be able to see kids. I want to be able to, to have a presence in their lives as opposed to just a, a, a corner of the screen. We need virtual reality. Some of those companies to work on this where we can recreate, everybody puts their goggles on and we're in the class together looking around. That's, that would be a million dollar idea and every school would latch on to that. Schools make a lot of money for businesses, right? I mean, Microsoft was born with business in schools and it's like, man, if some of these virtual reality companies could figure out a way to give us the classroom atmosphere, even 10% of it at home, you know, but then you got internet connectivity issues and that would cost money and I don't know. You just can't, I don't know. You just, we just can't recreate that same feeling. And part of the, part of it is about the feeling. I know the academics, what, what, what you can, most of what I'm going to teach, you could look up in a book, but you can't recreate the episode that I'm going to give you when you're with me. Yeah. Right. And so part of, part of that magic, if you will, is, is being in a particular place altogether. And here you've got kids in their own space and, and that's, that's, like I said, it, it can work. It's just not going to be, I'm afraid it's not going to be as good if we have to do it that way. And again, like you said, how am I going to get to know you and how are you going to get to know me? Part of that interaction is the before class and after class, you know, kids stay and they talk and the transitions and oh, we yeah. don't really, not really, you're not really able to do that maybe a little bit, but not to the same way. Oh, yeah. and we want to be comfortable with each other. New kids are not, are going to have a longer time trying to feel comfortable with the new teachers that they have and, and maybe even vice versa as, cause I'm, I want to know them too. Who are you? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna have an as easy a time to do that. Yeah, they say like with comedians, it, going to a club and watching a live stand-up show with a crowd is one thing, but when you watch it at home, it's like 15% less funny. And don't you? That's, that's, the, same of, with, that's the same way with live music. Yeah. I don't want to listen to live music on the radio. I want to experience it in person. Yeah, and so it's teachings kind of like that, like a, a some a lecture or something we're doing in class. They're gonna learn less just automatically off the top. I think through Zoom or through, and thank goodness we have Zoom. I mean, that's better than yeah, mailing. Right. Stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm not knocking what we're doing. Yeah. Not really, but, but by comparison to a live performance, if you will, it's just not going to have the same edge. Oh, well, maybe the next time we podcast, we'll have some more uh, information as far as how the school year will, will start. But that's, uh, I don't want to do this. This is the last uh, time I want to do this. How soon do you think we'll know? I don't know that we know until late July because, I mean, I think we'll, we might have better models to predict this by then, and maybe we'll have some sort of medication that helps, but I doubt we have a vaccine, and I doubt we'll ever know until we really, in schools, of course, you know, kids are just germ magnets. Like, that's, it's not like a business restaurant, it's schools. You get all these germy kids together, who knows? We need, we need to sacrifice a public school. During July, 
just a trial run. Let's throw them in there and just cross our fingers and see what happens. And if it works, then we'll know. I say we have a lottery. It's like Hunger Games. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Cohen High School. (laughs) Just for this sake, too, you know, I I think these are cool that we're doing these video podcasts, but but I really miss going down to Collective, you know, and I hope those guys are doing well during all this, too. I haven't really had – have you touched base with? I haven't, but – yeah, go to Collective Coffee uh, when, if you can, to uh, support them if they reopen. Because, you know, that's, that was part of what this podcast was about. Yep. Yep. All right, guys. Well, it's All been right. a good one. And I will see y'all on the flip-flop. Goodbye.